2: Okay,
3: ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim, and Chris.
1: On today's Tour Catch Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com, Rublev captures his first Masters title in Monte Carlo.
0: Sriontek readies her title defence in Stuttgart. And the WTA announce a return to China.
3: kim chris today is the 17th of april and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at tennis weekly hq we are back from coventry and we are going to be discussing the monte carlo masters andre rublev he's won his first ever masters title we're going to be talking about the wta's return to china which was announced this week and of course we're going to be looking at the Billie jean king cup qualifiers yes we were in Coventry for GB versus France but there were plenty of other ties as well to get our teeth into so we're going to be talking about that so yes it's, it's very very exciting and I'm not gonna lie I'm sh- should I feel exhausted this is our third podcast in three days.
0: Well, I think Joel you should be calling it Tennis Daily HQ at this point. <laughs> it's no longer an April Fool's joke. It's become a reality.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be live in people's ears every single day of the week. Whether they like us or not.
3: (laughs) I mean, we were thinking about doing... Uh, podcast yesterday, but someone someone had to go to a Eurovision party in the evening.
1: I Ooh. yes, I was having a bit of a boogie. I was dancing off the <laughs> Billie Jean King Cup, and and I was going to the London Eurovision preview party, which is very exciting. Ooh. How was it? Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, um, no rest for Kim. No rest, yeah went straight from tennis to my other passion
3: what was a bigger night out was it our night out in coventry on saturday night or was it the eurovision party
1: oh now that is a tough <laughs> that is a tough one nothing beats uh an evening with both of you yes. so i'm gonna say oh. coventry yeah aren't i, she has aren't to. I kind you were
3: so excited to go visit the cathedral and a really a really really old pub that you took us to
1: we went to was it the the old windmill the windmill the inn? Old windmill.
0: yes it was yeah. lovely
1: historic pub public house of coventry a great
0: value point <laughs>
1: i'm sure some listeners may know it um and then we did take you to a to a, a pub that you like, Joel, sort yeah. of slightly uh, different
0: I, had, had I, had my
3: own, I actually had my own little boogie, actually, on, on Saturday night whilst you were just sort of, I felt like, just looking on and, and looking at on my dance moves and then probably silently judging me,
0: no doubt. Well, no, Joel, it was a work commitment for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did enjoy a woo-woo, though. I have to say that mm. the
0: woo-woos are uh, Delicious. quite tasty.
1: Yeah, quite tasty. But um, yeah, aside from that, it was, it was a fabulous weekend and um, we, we should really say a big thank you to everyone at the LTA for for putting on such a, a fabulous event.
3: Yes, massive, massive shout out to the LTA for making our Coventry trip great Laura Amy and John in the media team and all the volunteers put on a great spectacle I know we didn't necessarily get the result but it was a great fun occasion nonetheless and listeners if you are interested to hear what we got up to in Coventry we have done a couple of live episodes we got some great interviews with Alicia Barnett and Olivia Nichols plus we managed to put some questions to the world number five, Caroline Garcia. So there is lots of really fascinating content. We also spoke to Anne Kyofavong about Emma Raducanu's absence.
0: So, yeah, it was, quite, it was quite tasty at times. There was some very tasty moments in the press room. Mm. And I think um, well worth a listen back if I do say so myself. And the catering wasn't bad either.
1: I was going to say we talk about the chicken pie, Chris, <laughs> when you said tasty moment. No, the banana
3: cheesecake, the banana cheesecake that I think is your biggest regret from the weekend, because I
0: I thought that was fantastic, and you you were too quick to uh, to discount it. Well, but that was a big regret. Also, Joel, you didn't make it clear how how good it was, so maybe you wanted to go back for a second <laughs> one. But my other big regret, Joel, was that I did say that I had worked out that Caroline Garcia would be going back from Heathrow. And then a lovely listener got in contact, Kate, to say that actually she checked into Birmingham Airport. Not sure how she knew that. I think it was on her Instagram. So it begs the question, did she think she took a private jet? Because I couldn't find a direct flight or there is mm. a separate skyscanner for the international tennis scene. The plot thickens. But I mean, yeah, she is high profile enough now, I feel, that she could
3: warrant or charter her own flights. And I maybe... She'll go hard with Yeah, and maybe... Birmingham airport I feel like it's maybe a little bit easier to charter your own flight as opposed to kind of going off to London that or I feel like she might have wanted the air miles from the the extra stops from the the non-direct flight Cheeky
0: stopover yeah maybe stopover in Paris before <laughs> heading to Stuttgart
1: it's how world number fives roll these days. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's been some nice things coming out of the Billie Jean King Cup qualifiers, isn't there? But apart from debating people's flight paths, um, my favourite thing of the week that came out of the other ties wasn't so much the tennis, but some lovely... Positive, romantic news from the Ukrainian um, team because two of their players have very recently got engaged and they kind of did a a joint uh, social media update uh, showing off their rings. So we had Marta Kostok and uh, Lyudmila Kichinok both engaged very recently. And um, they were showing off their rings uh, at the tie. So, um, yeah, nice nice news coming up the tie. They didn't quite win the tie. They, they did lose to uh, Czech Republic. Well, I
3: also have a favourite thing from the Billie Jean King Cup. And it was from the Spain-Mexico tie. A tennis weekly favourite, Sara Cerebes-Tormo. Um, she had a singles match against Fernanda Contreras-Gomez. It was a double bagel. And... I think, you know, listeners, whenever you see a double bagel, you instantly think it's going to be a really quick scoreline, you know, 40 minute job on court, off court. But, you know, this is Sara Suribes Tormo on clay. And what I absolutely loved was she took 60 minutes for a six love bagel. She just does not know how to do things quickly, does she? oh my goodness that <laughs> that's is...
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's the most sst bagel possible isn't it Were you, you,
0: an you expecting anything
3: different
1: no
0: what if she was playing in uh in coventry on that court where mm. we had tie breaks galore if that went seven more <laughs> games that would have been a two hours and ten minute um first set i mean it does beg the question what is the
3: longest ever bagel set i mean listeners have do you know any sets that have gone longer than 60 minutes for six love because i think that is that must be right up there
1: what's the shortest
0: bagel set i'd be curious to know that that's got to well. be irani Shvedova. that that golden set oh, one, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes that was, that was excellent i, I feel like a before.
3: bernard tomich tank also is probably mm. in
0: there somewhere as less well. impressive
1: but... <laughs> Oh, dearie me. Well, one match that didn't contain any bagels uh, went right down to the wire was the Monte Carlo Masters final between Andre Rublev and, and Holger Runa because that didn't disappoint, did it? It was three sets, uh, Rublev winning 7 5 in the third from a set down. So Andre Rublev has finally won a, a big tournament, a Masters 1000. He is no longer a bridesmaid, he is the bride. <laughs> You've been waiting <laughs> to say that, haven't you, Kim? I keep picturing him in a veil now, which is perhaps <laughs> where my mind shouldn't be going. But I mean, when I saw the scores though, Runa was four one up and I thought, oh, you know, he's running away with this. So for Riblev to come back from that deficit was fantastic. Um, levelled the match and took it, you know, took it at the end. Um, so brilliant stuff. What do you think was it for Riblev, Joel, that got him over the edge in this one finally?
3: Yeah, I think he he obviously never stopped believing regardless of the deficit he's been in i do think he was helped a little bit by holger Runa. i mean holger Runa also had a break point for for 5-1 and i think we've seen you know in the past he as developing a habit i feel of of maybe not necessarily choking but certainly letting matches i think slip through um his palms from winning positions and i think that just kind of played into uh you know obviously into into rublev Rublev's strategy and um yeah it was great i think to see him finally come through and win i mean we said at the you know the start last week that this was going to be a very open uh masters event given that there was no rafa novak Djokovic coming back but having not played you know the sunshine double carlos alcaraz not there as well and um it's it's well and truly kind of proved that but i think with rublev there's there's not really been i feel like such a you know, university liked kind of first first time champion because we've seen kind of all the the praise from the players um, and the fans. It has been, as I said, very kind of singular in the sense that I think everyone is really happy for this moment because it has been a long time coming.
1: Yeah, it's been it has been a long time coming, and we've always maybe given him a bit of um, criticism, really, and, and maybe rightly so that he's been very consistent on the tour, but just doesn't have that sort of big match. Um, you know, gravitas to sort of get over the finish line, but I think you know maybe this is could be a turning point. Maybe he's going to grow in confidence now, now that he's got you know a Masters level tournament under his belt, and he'll flourish and and go on because you know it's he's been in this situation before. This is this was his third Masters event, and it's nice for him to finally tick tick one off the list, and it does seem to happen. And maybe more so at Monte Carlo and I think Paris being another one where players get their their first Masters. Obviously, Runa won Paris last year, so he knows kind of what it feels like to to clinch your first Masters. And obviously he was looking for a second one. Um, so they're kind of in the same boat now. They've both got one each. Um, but Chris, let, let's talk about Runa quickly. Um you know, you know you know his game i would say very well followed him obviously you're based out in in denmark so a lot of attention on, on runa given his uh losing the lead you know he's almost 5-1 up will he be hurting you know deeply inside after this um this
0: loss well i think what's we'll been quite impressive is it seems like from his social media and what he said he's kind of just picked himself up and moved on he's at a career high ranking of number seven now you know who who would have thought he would have beaten Novak Djokovic in Paris and taken that title and then he ended up on the wrong side of this one so mm. I think it shows that that wasn't a flash in the pan I don't think any of us thought it was he's obviously got a great game I think not everything will go swimmingly and I think there is this sort of expectation for Um, People like Carlos Alcaraz as well, um, who do achieve great success at a young age, that they almost will follow the exact same path as the big three and kind of never have a blip on their record. And I actually think it's probably quite quite good from the perspective for his career that it will keep him really hungry and motivated. And I think in those big moments, I think he won't necessarily kind of take too many risks on some of the shots that he missed. And there's still a, a level head that he would be able to keep because I think from watching... Um, when he got broken at five all in the third when he missed those two overheads sort of hit two balls out the stadium and then double faulted it it just felt like um he kind of he'd lost that uh mental sw- mental focus there and I think he was a bit exhausted to be honest so maybe he just came short but I think there's so much he can take from this that's positive and um I think going to the French Open I think that both of them um, have set themselves up really nicely to have a career best performance there.
1: Yeah, Rune had quite a close semi-final, didn't he, against uh, Yannick Sinner. So, uh, you know, because at one point it was looking like it could be a a Sinner-Rublev final, which Joel, I know you had predicted, so you're probably a bit annoyed. I was so gutted.
3: (laughs) I genuinely was so close for my prediction um, coming true. But I wanted to ask you both about Holger Rune because there's been a lot of talk, I think, this week about... Particularly his maturity. I don't think that's necessarily something new, but we've seen this week, you know, his crowd interactions. I feel like it's it was understandable in that semi final because we were all watching it um, on on a laptop and it, it was clear like the crowd was heavily in favour um, of of Yannick Sinner. Um, you know, his his interaction with with the crowd. Some people love it, some people hate it. Where do you stand on kind of his his youth and? Yes, he is a fantastic tennis player and the things he's doing against, particularly his record, I think, against the top 10 is is fantastic. But in terms of kind of managing the environment and the the kind of the situation, is his approach to the crowd the, the right one? Is it the healthiest one? Does it work for him, you know, in terms of charging him up? Or do you think he should kind of go about kind of a more sedate or a more keep in the zone on the tennis court approach?
0: I think it is a bit of a distraction, I think at times it can work in your favour, but I think at times mm. there is a lot of emotional energy that seems to be wasted.
3: It worked in his favour, it seemed, in that similar semi-final.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it can. I think also it's a very fine line between kind of, um, kind of sparking up uh, a bit of um, controversy with the crowd versus kind of taking out your frustrations on the court. So I think it depends where that emotional energy is kind of um, let out. I think... It it's adds a bit of drama to the matches. I think people do enjoy it from a spectator perspective. It does get a lot of people talking. Um, personally, I think from having spoken with him, I think he's a very, very nice chap, very well-spoken, very polite um, when he's off the court. And so I think maybe it's kind of the the celebrity of the moment is the thing that kind of um, lets him kind of put on a show. And I think it is a bit of a a showman sort of mentality. Um I do think on the subject of that, that a lot of players have kind of followed the model of kind of being very uncontroversial, like a Federer or Nadal type on court, not really trying to kind of have any sort of um, uh, negative or necessarily too positive an interaction with the crowd, but just really getting on with the job. And I think that's something that can be um, really beneficial. But I also think that it is important that people do express themselves. Um, And I think that if you are sort of a very young player who's played an awful lot of matches and is also not really giving their opinions off the court, then... On the court, I think sometimes you do need to express yourself and maybe someone like Sinner hasn't actually expressed himself enough in some of those moments and that hasn't helped him. But ideally, we would all get along and it would be a lot less contentious, right? So we wouldn't have to talk about um shushing the crowd.
1: I mean, Federer, just to interject, Federer in his day as a youth yeah. was quite uh argumentative He's and had to rein it, it in. Yeah. So, so there we there go, is maybe time. everyone's like this. Yeah, I feel like a lot of players maybe, you know, they have to like learn as they go along on the tour and they might find that particular behavior pattern doesn't work for them and they and they rein it in and and can control themselves. I
3: still can't see Runa reining it in. I feel like he he's going down the path, I think, of like a Nick Kyrgios in terms of lapping it all up as he's on the court with the with all of the all the interactions i know they're sort of i think they're like quite good friends on the tour we're seeing that they're going to be playing an exhibition um in in denmark over the over the next few I'll months there. well yeah exactly tennis weekly i Chris, think i think that yeah. will be
0: i mean imagine that imagine how much uh fan interaction there will be for that one i think maybe they won't even play a single point of tennis
1: <laughs> they'll just like stare at the crowd or something and yeah but do you think like the fact that
0: he's not
3: wallpaper and and it gets people talking particularly at his age actually that's actually the best thing versus as i said like carlos alcaraz where it's a bit like i just want to try and please absolutely everybody whereas with runo it's almost like you can take you can have the positive spin on him but also you're going to still talk about him with that sort of negative spin as well because of the the antics maybe that you would you could argue he gets up to
0: I think he can handle it right and i think some players Mm. can't when it comes to that i think he genuinely isn't bothered by the reaction that he gets on twitter or what sort of negativity he gets in that space hence he said to stan marinka you've got nothing to say now so i think obviously he doesn't really mind it he doesn't take it to heart so i don't think that's causing too much of a problem and having a personality is not a negative thing at all um it's just when it becomes a bit distracting, you know, and you haven't got the results to back it up. And then it becomes, you know, as we've mentioned already, a double mention for Bernard Tomic. It can become um, completely your narrative. Yeah. yeah, it can. So I don't think it's too much of a problem. And having players that express themselves and spice up the tour. We were talking about it last week with Pagula and Trash Talk. And mm. it seems like the only people that heard that were on the ATP tour.
3: I did enjoy if there were one thing that is distracting him, it is his social media because I was reading he was liking tweets at like 3am 3 3 uh, on the on the night of his semi-final win um, against Yannick Sinner so he kind of got too much sleep ahead of the final.
0: That is him on this phone. That genuinely is. I've seen him do it <laughs> when we were impressed. He, he does have access to his socials. Oh <laughs>
1: uh, Well, it was a fairly late finish, I guess for Monte Carlo standards. Um, so sometimes you do just need some time before you wind down but 3 m probably not ideal. <laughs> um, I'm a bit vanilla, I think, with regards to all of this sort of antics in that I like my players to be... Uh, Champions
3: and noble and
1: sportsmanship. Yeah. Yes, basically, the the Nadals (laughs) and the Federers of the world. The gentlemen of the tour. The gentlemen, yes. I don't like racket smashing. I don't like aggro. I just, I like respectful behavior. And I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, with with Runa and and all these other players that I never dare having aggro with crowds, I think when it steps over the mark of, you know, entering into significant disrespect, that's when I have a real issue with it. I think there's. A fine line between how far you go. So, I think in small quantities, a bit of um, you know gesturing to the crowd can be okay, especially if the crowd are perhaps booing you. Obviously, that's disrespect from their part. So, it goes each way. But I think um, I'm 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 going to probably disagree with you slightly, Chris, because I'm I'm quite a vanilla Ooh, question uh, for tennis you, tennis fan, probably, on that,
0: Kim. So then, is it at the <laughs> point where it becomes a distraction? Because I do feel like for Sinner based on some of the things that we heard from afterwards that he didn't want to comment on anything that happened but it, the inference was it was a bit of a distraction so if it starts to interfere with the tennis is that where I think we both agree and drawing the line?
1: Yes yeah I think so as well because it, you know that's just affecting both players or one player's ability to perform their game and obviously you should ideally not be distracted by what the other player's doing and just got, got to focus on yourself regardless of what the crowd's doing what, what the other player's doing but yeah, I just think like if it sort of seems a bit unnecessary and if you could just get on with it and play tennis, which is what you're there for.
3: Well, I mean, one player who probably should have just got on with it and but was admittedly distracted by a toilet break, Sasha Zverev in
0: in the Daniel Medvedev match. Yes, that was pretty <laughs> um explosive that inter- the mm. comments that we Not saw the after toilet that
1: toilet break, I hope. No, 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 no
0: sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry for that choice of word. Um But no, he said uh, that he, well, this is what Sasha said about um, Medvedev. He's one of the most unfair players in the world. I take fair play and sportsmanship very serious. He does not. He takes a toilet break when it's not possible anymore. And you have to think with this. I mean, this is a classic case where Sasha likes to put his name in there. You know, you could just say you didn't like the fact he did that. But you don't say that you're the most uh, fair Uh, fair play and sportsmanship um, ambassador when we've all seen you attack an umpire in Acapulco um so I think if you if you're in glass houses then you shouldn't be throwing stones and it felt like once you've lost the match you know at least when Medvedev tends to complain it's after he has won a match um always on court so actually that doesn't count but still I thought this was a bit unnecessary
1: I think Medvedev might take the moral high ground here. I mean, he's not perfect. We've seen him have aggro on a tennis court, but he responded to Zverev's comment saying that Zverev was living in his own world and that he should look at himself in the mirror. Um, which, yeah, like you said, that, that incident I think he was might Zverev look at himself
0: in the mirror quite a lot already, Kim. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think both of these players have aggro issues with crowds and umpires. Like We've both seen them getting very argumentative at times. And I don't think, Either of them are holier than thou, um, and once again, I'm going to go back to sort of um, if I had to, well, if I had to pick between two of them, I, I would just kind of say, you know, just get over it, get on with it, play your tennis. And I can't imagine Ro- Roger and Rafa speaking to each other like that. I feel like
3: Medvedev, though <laughs> he he's happy to kind of diffuse the situation. You know, he you know he's very pragmatic and I think honest. And we see that I think in his press conferences, yes, people might not necessarily like it, but I think he is like he's proactive. I feel enough in the locker room to kind of go out, search, you know, someone if they've got beef, and then kind of sit down and have a chat about it. Whereas Zverev, I feel, as you said, because he lives in a glass house, he comes out with these comments and he's almost sort of for me living more in his own world than say a, a Daniel Medvedev kind of does. Um, so yeah, I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna side for that reason. With Medvedev, because of because of the the honesty, and because also, I think Zverev at the start of the week was talking about how he would have you know beaten Nadal at the the French Open. I mean, his choice of quotes just generally across the week have not been you know great. I mean, yes, I think he, there was probably amount of, of frustration given well this week, and also across you know the Sunshine Double when they had their last match. That both those matches he you know really should have won, but Medvedev just seems to have the mental
0: edge over him at the moment. It does seem like. Whatever's going on in that rivalry is affecting some of the results because, as mm. you say, he should have taken both of those wins. Um, I would say his comments on the French Open, who knows what would have happened.
3: I think it's going to get uglier. I think it's going to get uglier on the tennis court, their next match. I can see it boiling over at some point.
1: I'm going to go watch Kasper Ruud and Carlos Alcaraz instead. Oh, you, yeah. Kim, you just want the
3: tranquility, no... No sort of anxiety whatsoever, and me and Chris are.
0: I'm. I'm not. I'm not. You want to be stressed
1: and... by all tennis? <laughs> I'm.
0: I'm not that into the drama. I think I might pull a Kim here and say, should we go back to the tennis? I believe that Novak Djokovic <laughs> was playing this week.
1: He he had a bit of an uh, aggro there, didn't he? I think. Uh, yeah. at, at one point, everyone's
0: aggy in Monte Carlo. Mm. There's something, something well, in the air. Uh,
1: I mean, it was a bit rainy, wasn't it? So and windy and wet and windy. A lot, a, he... lot of
0: rain delays.
1: Yeah, he had a match with Lorenzo Massetti, which went on for a while and um, they had to deal with you know nasty conditions, suspension because of the rain. Uh, but yeah, Djokovic lost 4-6, 7-5, 6-4. Uh, Lorenzo Massetti beat him. Um, so ugh, Djokovic fans may be a bit worried. I don't know. He had some strapping on his elbow, which was the elbow that he had surgery on a few years back. Uh, He wasn't serving very well. I think he got broken like eight times, which sounds quite shocking, I think, for a Djokovic uh, match to be broken eight times. But Massetti playing some really nice stuff, playing with quite a lot of flair and able to get the job done. It's only his second win over a top five player in his career. And I think uh, nice for him to sort of avenge that really upsetting loss he had at the French Open against Djokovic a few years back.
0: Definitely. I think um, we all... We're slightly surprised, you know, Massetti hasn't had the best of starts of the season. Um, he did produce a double bagel and then took out the world number one. So it's a pretty eventful um, week down in Monte Carlo for him. Um, and I think all of us know that he's not the best closer. So when it came to that final game, I think um, I was almost ready to hit kind of the the tweet button on the fact that he maybe wouldn't be able to serve it out. And then he did so. I think it's testament to him that in those moments um where he has struggled before he was able to do it on one of the biggest stages against you know the world number one and one of the greatest players of all time so um i think it's the sort of win that you hope um in tournaments to come it will give him some uh, extra um sort of mental fortitude in those big moments But in terms of the question as to this performance from Djokovic and this return, I was going to ask you, what did you make of it? He obviously did get a win. And then this performance, he hit 46 unforced errors. Is this something we're used to seeing kind of coming back, having not played for a bit? He does like to play himself into form or should we be a bit concerned? I don't
3: necessarily see this as as cause for concern. Um, I think regardless of, of who you are, it's just going to take time to get used to coming back from from the tour I mean on a more extreme example as a British fan seeing Andy Murray lose to Alex de Menor 6-1 6-3 yes very very ugly defeat but if you think about that in the context of well actually how many clay court tournaments has Andy Murray played over the last few years it was probably understandable and I think with Djokovic um it may more on a more kind of shorter term scale I think it was obviously not the the best result but when Musetti was kind of playing like that he is you know he's a pretty handy player. I think on his day on on a clay court, he's you know he's shown that before. He's made two Masters one thousand quarterfinals. He beat a Carlos Alcaraz um, in in a really good win in a final in in Hamburg. So I don't think it's necessarily as bad as it as it looks. And for me, it's all about peaking at the right moments, and that's what Novak Djokovic does. So I'm expecting to see him get better in Rome, and then probably by his plan peak in Roland Garros.
0: So similar to what we've seen before then in terms of obviously this time last year, he had a not great loss to Alejandro Davidec Fakina that was in the uh, the second round. So he didn't get a win in Monte Carlo last year. And kind of coming into that, um, he actually had that loss against uh, Giri Vesli. So he has had a few sort of hiccups at this sort of point in the season before and then losing in the final in in Belgrade to Rublev that year. Um, And then an upset from um Carlos Alcaraz in Madrid before kind of putting it together um before actually you know, not putting it together going out to Nadal Kim never forget but um I
3: mean he he, he is playing Bosnia this week or he, he is at the moment and you know that's obviously a 250 so he should be getting more match wins and more confidence I think the biggest concern will obviously be that elbow you know the reason he was broken eight times was because his his serve speed had to had to drop so there is some discomfort there and that again is probably the the bigger worry heading up to um you know the masters events to come and uh, the french open
1: and just going back so you mentioned andy murray joel uh that loss to alex de menor uh he's t- murray described it as a awful and demoralizing defeat mm. uh you know 6-1-6-3 begs the question should should Andy Murray play a, a clay court season this year or should he just focus on the grass and being at home and you know excelling uh on the grass courts of
0: you know southwest London we'll see you in Surbiton is what I say
1: yeah that's what I was thinking
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a
0: really it's a really tough one isn't it I think this was definitely
3: a, a reality check I mean we've seen some great wins from him over the start of the the season even when he's dropped that first set we were always kind of like oh yeah don't worry he'll win in three but Domino just kind of ran away with it and um, yeah it's it's tough to know I think you know once he got onto the court and realized actually you need time to adjust and to adapt and he he's had he has had none of that and whether he can Do that period of adjustment over just three weeks, having been in the cold for years, let's let's be honest. I think that's going to be, even though he's a great champion, I think that's going to be a very big mountain to climb and one that's arguably not worth it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, some players do have ambivalent attitudes towards clay, don't they, as, as a surface. Some players have ambivalent attitudes towards clay mm. in particular locations because we had Stefanos Tsitsipas kind of doing a bit of trash talk on the camera this week as well, having a having a crack at uh, clay courts in the US. He wrote on the, on the camera, Clay Court in the US is like a unicorn on a skateboard. Um very poetic as always from Sits Pass. And then we had Taylor Fritz responding on his own camera, uh, which I'm not quite sure what he means exactly, but he just wrote USA Clay and then three question marks. Um a bit of beef going on between uh Fritz and Sitsipass via the camera. I mean, are you down with this? You like a bit of trash talk? I think it was it was jovial beef. It was jovial
0: beef
3: i think yeah you know, it was not I necessarily don't like stand <laughs> it wasn't like a hard critique on u.s clay courts i think
1: is it's past having a go at the u.s players on clay or just the courts out there being terrible
0: so is he saying that it's too slippy if it's a skateboard you know, mm. do, do we think or is it just that it's, it shouldn't exist you shouldn't find it I, i'm not sure what he's saying
3: To be honest, I'm not sure half the time what Sister is saying.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think... Did you see after the final, he said um, that Rublev is a good kid and he's actually um, younger (laughs) than Rublev. So I think maybe we take this one with a pinch of salt.
3: I am enjoying, though, having... Not just signing the camera, but actually having little little messages. I know we've had more serious messages, like from Rublev, saying, you know, no war, please. Um, But I do like these little interactions. Who knows? Maybe this will evolve and we'll see more interactions maybe uh maybe fritz will come back and say no more wild cards petros please or something
0: i think we're reaching a point where they're kind of almost penning their first novels and i think maybe they should um get a ghostwriter for that because <laughs> yeah. these were not particularly clear
1: well one uh event we didn't really have any trash talking uh i don't believe anyway there might have been some that we're not aware of um was the billy jean king cup qualifiers uh which i think went fairly swimmingly, um, we had a, a number of qualifiers taking place and I think nine in total. Uh, so we have a whole set of finalists now decided, barring wildcards, and we've also got some playoff uh, participants decided for November as well. Of course, we've covered the GB versus France tie listeners you can go back and listen to our last two episodes for details of that tie um but what else went on over the weekend um we had what well, we had wins for um Kazakhstan they they went through quite comfortably uh the United States uh, obviously France um with Rebecca Pagula and Garcia all winning two matches to um to kind of really lead their teams across the finish line uh, also some ties that went down to the wire though a canada belgium uh and italy slovakia that went down to the doubles tie i do believe and slovenia romania as well the slovenians um coming down from two two nil down to to beat romania um which i think doesn't happen very often that a country comes from two nil down to to, to win so chris What's been your tie of the weekend? Obviously, we've been in Coventry, we haven't been able to follow and watch a lot of the other action because we've been so focused on Coventry. Um, but was there you particular... been following
0: Martina Trevisan?
1: <laughs> was there a particular tie that caught your eye?
0: Well, I, I have been, you're right, Joel. Um, I've been watching <laughs> Slovakia and Italy, I've been trying to figure out piece together what went down there because, um <laughs> For Camilla Georgie was there. We all saw that. I was very surprised. I'm not for sure she often makes... For a heartbeat. She played her singles and I think she might have um, gone off to her next tournament. But um, Traversan and, and Georgie were heading that one up and they did go 2 nil up and then they lost two in the next day. But they fielded um, two weaker players. They fielded the lower rank, Paolini and Cochoretto. So that seemed like an odd choice from 2 nil up to then kind of drop your, your number one and two players and then kind of risk it all in a doubles that went 7-5 mm. in the third. So you know what? I think that maybe this is my favourite tie of the, of the weakest student, the, the France um, GB tie, just because of the bravery of um, Tatiana Garban to, you know, the way that she selected that team. She lived yep. on the edge and it yep. just about paid off.
3: I really, really hope it would be so Camilla Georgie if she turned up for a Billie Jean King Cup tie, played one match... And then like an hour later is on is on a flight um to the next. Shades destination. on. She's out. Shades on. Mic I played my match. I've done my part. I'm off now. Goodbye. I'd just love to see that. Um no, but that was really great. I mean, another tie that really uh, I was interested in was Canada versus Belgium, because Canada um you know no Bianca Andreescu she was there um I think supporting from the crowds but that went down to a deciding doubles and we had uh, a previous guest of ours uh Tennis Weekly favorite Gabby Dabrowski um winning the deciding doubles I think with Leila Fernandez um that was a great great scenes um but just to me shows yeah how how lively and how fun doubles can be when it is played in a live setting which again it just adds to me the growing argument that should be why is it not played as that third that third rubber you need to give the the singles top players i feel time to rest i think the doubles can play an important role in that but also it just creates so much so much fun so much nail-biting drama and it was really i feel on to show across the whole couple of days i think in that that canada belgium tie
1: also begs the question of where the finals are going to be in November, because we still mm. don't have a location. And, you know, although it may be seven months down the line, I you know, I think these countries would kind of like to know where they're going to have to go, uh, where all the players are going to have to schedule in. Um, where are
3: Tennis Weekly
1: going to have to go, Kim? Well, I mean, I'm just wondering, <laughs> we're getting onto this in the second half. Will it be in China? Because the WTA are now mm. going back to China. Perhaps uh, that they're waiting to see if, if the Chinese want to, to host. Because a lot of the tournaments around that time are, are out that way. So it might, you know, fit the schedule. But... Yeah. We will have to see. Let's take a very quick break now, uh, but we will be back in the second half to discuss the WTA's decision to return to China and also looking ahead to this week's action, including Iga Svontek set to potentially defend her title in Stuttgart and Carlos Alcaraz returning from injury uh, to play in Barcelona. So do not go anywhere.
2: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash a
1: Welcome back to the tennis weekly podcast sponsored by download And um, before we get on to the, uh, second half proper we'll be doing a bit of par for the courts uh, and i think joel you have another one for me and chris this week
2: yes i do uh, will
1: i be able to make it two wins in a row well, that's I what was i was thinking
2: know.
3: i was thinking the exact same thing i mean chris are you are you still are you
0: like a wounded animal are you really kind of it's been tough it's been tough i think i didn't realize how much of my identity was wrapped up in successfully <laughs> winning par for the courts on tennis weekly um well, you've got your chance to to right the wrongs of,
3: of last week. Um, and I've got a path of courts for both of you. It's a back and forth and for our listeners as well. Mm-hmm. I've actually had this up my sleeve the last few weeks. And the topic concerns a one Daniel Medvedev. Uh, and it's a geographically themed path for the courts. And I would like you to tell me as many of the cities where Daniel Medvedev has won his ATP singles trophies because he has won 19 ATP titles and they are in 19 different cities. So I'm not including his Grand Slam victory in New York City, so you can count that one out. Um, But yes, there are 19 cities. So he's a man... He's 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 a man for all all of the world. If you look at all the cities he's won trophies in, it's all around the world. So think about all the different continents. I'd say that the uh, that the man, the myth, legend Daniel Medvedev plays on. Not all different surfaces,
0: I don't think though. So that no. might help us slightly. Yeah.
1: And uh, is it 19 different
0: cities or yep. 19 oh, right. different okay. cities? Yeah. He's never, he's never defended won a title. No, I know. Goodness.
1: Okay, let's do this. Chris, Could would you I like start? to start? Yeah, go I think first? I should
0: start because I need okay. the head start this week after okay. the loss previously. Um, I'm not going to go for a difficult one. I'm going to go for Miami. Miami is a correct
1: answer. Because he just won that one, right? <laughs>
0: yes, he did.
1: Uh, I am going to go for, well, he won the Mallorca Open, and that's held in Santa Ponza. Which I don't know if that's technically a city, but Palmer's the nearest city. But whatever you want to class it as.
3: Well, I've got on here Mallorca, so I'm I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna well, give you a I'll city, give you that. But yeah, so yeah, cool,
1: yeah. thank okay.
0: you.
1: Correct. I'm splitting hairs. <laughs>
0: uh, I will go for um, Rotterdam,
1: Cincinnati. Dubai um, I want to say you know Rogers Cup but I don't know which city it would have been I was
0: thinking the same thing Kim <laughs> I don't know where it was <laughs> 20, 2021 Ooh. where was it
1: oh no uh, I've got to go elsewhere Ooh, now um, Paris
3: correct answer
0: yes Paris is on the list um have we said Vienna?
3: We have not said Vienna, and Vienna is a correct answer. Yes, very good. Another indoor title uh, for I'm Medvedev. I'm cheating, Kim.
0: I'm just going for the <laughs> titles in the last last year.
1: Well, he won. He's won four already this year, hasn't he? So I'm just struggling to think what the other ones this year have been that you haven't said already yeah Um, a a
3: lot of the answers so far have been very recent um there is one that is from i think this season that hasn't been named
0: yet there's no shame in that joel go for a curveball kim
1: oh um i'm just trying to think has he won men hasn't won any on the clay has he unless he's won a small no Small scale. Definitely not. No. Um, Washington, D.C.
3: Washington. <clears throat> it's an incorrect answer, oh, kid. No. Washington is not on the list. Oh. I feel like you would have been better going 50 50 on the Canada title he won. Toronto or.
0: Toronto, I was going to say.
3: Yeah, Toronto and Montreal. Yeah, it was Toronto. Oh,
0: so you could have had Toronto. I had a couple more. Stockholm? He's he's definitely... Oh, I don't think he's won that one. Oh, okay. Has he? I think he's won Shanghai. Oh,
3: yes. Shanghai is on the list.
0: They were on my list.
3: Yep, St. Petersburg is on the list. You could have also had Sydney. Sydney, yes.
0: Has he won in Sofia? Yep,
3: you could have had Sofia.
0: Final of Barcelona, I remember that. That was a classic, one for the ages on the clay. Didn't win. Didn't win, no. Yep. So you could have had Sydney, Winston-Salem.
1: Oh, the other one in US.
3: Oh. Um, Tokyo, Sofia, Cincinnati, St. Petersburg, Shanghai, um, the Paris Masters. You could have given me London, where he won the tour finals. Of course.
0: That was an obvious one.
3: Yeah. Marseille. Mallorca Toronto now I actually I've got to apologize actually New York City is on the list um I it was just abbreviated so I didn't didn't catch it but yes New York City obviously where he won the US Open well Kim would have got that Joel should we should we restart sorry yeah uh Los Cabos Vienna Rotterdam and the one Kim that was from this year that was still on the board Doha Doha
0: and then Dubai and Miami. Was that Murray in the final of Doha?
1: Yeah.
0: I, I think that it happened. was.
1: I I was I thought, oh, that's Dubai, but it's not, is it? There's two back to back. Well, uh, Kim, I got my revenge. Way. Well done. Very, Thanks, very Kim. good. Well done. <laughs> really heartfelt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> um, let's have a look at what is in our mailbag this week. We've had a lot of people asking us, uh, including Chris's dad, about the WTA returning to China. I I was on the radio talking about it as well. Yeah, everyone wants to talk about it. Everyone
0: wants to know.
1: Yeah. And um, basically what's happened, uh, for those of you who haven't heard, is that the WTA have announced they'll be going back into China. There will be tournaments uh, in China towards the latter end of the year. Uh, The WTA finals are going to be back in Shenzhen for the first time since 2019. And this is very much a U-turn, really, on the WTA's uh, previous announcement at the end of 2021 that they were going to be suspending all uh, tournaments in China uh, because of the Peng Shui uh, allegations. And uh, they weren't going to be going back into China until an official investigation had been done into the allegations. And that they had confirmation that Peng Shui was safe and that they knew of her whereabouts and that, you know, she was okay and she was well. Um, We haven't had an investigation. Peng Shui, we don't have sort of formal verified evidence that she is safe and well, but the WTA are going back in this year. There will be tournaments played in China. Um, I mean, Chris, when this news broke just a few days ago before the Billie Jean King Cup finals, what were your initial thoughts? Were you shocked that the WTA had announced this move? Or do you think in the context of their kind of commercial um, requirements that, you know, it was kind of inevitable that this would happen at, at some point?
0: yeah i think it, i think it was inevitable i think it was a shame it happened whilst the Beijing king cup was on because it did actually take some of the focus away in the press room um, and some of the attention away from some of the the great results and the great sort of women's sports uh women's sports event that it is um which is a shame that we're actually talking about the wta and in a slightly potentially negative light for kind of the reverse of this decision um i do think it was inevitable i do think that um it probably is a U-turn that they, they didn't want to make and they did try and avoid making it in their defense. Um, but I do think with the new sort of um, setup they have from a funding perspective uh, with uh, CVC Capital Partners, uh, the private equity firm, I do think that there will be more attention on um, making money. And from a commercial standpoint, it is a, it's a no-brainer. Follow the money, you're going to be playing in China. And I think um, a lot of the players, as we've talked about, um, uh, a lot of the players are actually not necessarily against this, um, but it is a shame that kind of having made such a bold stance that we do end up less than two years later with a the, with the reversal of what was quite a popular and um, well-received um, decision from the WTO.
1: And I mean, China offers a lot of prize money. They have a lot of tournaments out there. And I think the WTA were were struggling to to fill gaps in the calendar, to find suitable alternatives that could offer the same amount of prize money that something like the WTA finals in Shenzhen was offering. Joel, do you think that the WTA are too dependent on on China um, for their income and for allowing kind of players to... To get prize money, you know, on a par with that of the ATP tour, do you think they kind of almost had no choice really, but to go back to China, given maybe their dependency on on what China offer?
3: Yeah, completely. I think, especially I think with, you know, the, the talk around the prize money and the fact that a big talking point has been the inequality um, around prize money between you know the WTA and ATP tours and when you look at it I think from that point of view and you've got someone like China coming in and say hey we're going to here to inject um, lots of money into your tournaments in terms of prize money the fact that it is going back to Shenzhen and it's going to be um, with the same amount of, of prize money as well I think it just shows that it's a decision that I think, yeah, ultimately money talks. Um, I don't think people necessarily want to admit that, and maybe they want to go with kind of the more moral decision or take the moral high ground, like the WTA have shown, and I commend them for make you know making this stance for for this long. But the reality is it just wasn't going to be able to to last for en- forever. It just wasn't tenable, and it's a bit of a weird situation because it's sort of like what have we achieved here? Because the reality is because of the the pandemic and China's kind of policy to um, you know, hosting events, etc., they weren't able to host anything over this time period that the WTA have effectively kind of banned themselves from from there. So it throws up that question, I think, of what what did this actually achieve?
0: Would the will the question, do you think, come up in press over in China? Will Peng Shui be the the hot mm. topic in terms of um, will players playing there want to shine a light further and actually going back, do you think it will actually keep more attention on the fact that there is not an investigation or a verified um, uh, verification of her safety? I think, will it be negative from a, a Peng Shui perspective or would it be potentially a positive because the focus on China might allow um, some progress to be made?
1: That's a really good point. And I would hope that when players do go back for the tournaments that the press are allowed to ask, you know, fair and open questions and that people can talk freely and that the the WTA are, you know, saying, like, we're going back to China, but that the Chinese press cannot limit uh, you know, outside sort of media in, in any way. Like I would hope that the WTA have made it clear that this is very much a subject that they want to be able to talk about. You know, where is she? What happened? Is she safe? Um, because otherwise you know they'll be kind of going back under like a cloud of silence which is just gonna make the whole situation worse and Steve Simon the CEO did say you know by not playing there they haven't really achieved anything the this investigation hasn't happened so maybe it is time for a change of tack and I kind of feel like going back in is more of a commercial decision but him saying that it's maybe trying to justify the the kind of u-turn on kind of from the moral sense but you know, maybe there is a point, and that you know, by being there, it will, it will actually throw more light on it.
3: I mean, we've heard a few players already kind of talk about and, and approve of of the decision um, to go back. And again, for me, that was quite interesting in relation to, you know, we've seen a, you know a more re- another U-turn recently was Wimbledon around you know Russia and and Belarusians and, and allowing them to come back and play the tournament um, this year. I still feel like that had a very much a divided opinion we're still seeing that play out I feel you know every day on 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 social media whereas the impression I get with this one because of the the prize money and and you know more tournaments filling that gap in you know a really kind of important time of the year towards the end of the season it feels to me the difference is that there is genuinely a bigger more positive backing towards this move and it's almost kind of forced arguably forced the hand of the the WTA tour, you know, I think Steve Simon was talking about the fact that, you know, ultimately we're here to reflect and go on and and represent, you know, the individuals that, you know, represent our organization such as the players and as a result they're making this move back to China.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's it's we've talked about this last week in terms of the the tournaments. I don't necessarily think that the schedule has suffered hugely significantly i think tournaments like a popped up which has actually been a really positive one um and i think the big gap on the tour as we've talked about last week is that there's not that many 250s mm. at certain stages where it's actually not necessarily kind of the the top players who can't be winning even more prize money um it's actually you know some of the the players who wouldn't necessarily even be able to qualify for some of these tournaments in china anyway because they aren't um at a ranking where they would be able to so i think I don't necessarily buy into the fact that you know it's for for the players in this sense I think it's a case where they weren't similar to weren't able to make the impact they wanted to and therefore they didn't achieve anything so you may as well follow the money or you may as well reverse the decision because you aren't able to have the impact you wished.
1: Mm. It's uh, certainly a lot to unpick isn't it from from that decision and and the announcement but perhaps it was was inevitable and they've you know, got various factors that they need to think about. Um, let's look a bit kind of uh, closer to to home and and closer to to now in in the calendar because the, obviously the Chinese events are going to be later in the year. But we've got a lot of events happening this week. Uh, we've got Stuttgart, which is a jam packed draw. Uh, obviously, uh, Emma Raducanu is there. and She wasn't at the Billie Jean King Cup uh, because she very much decided to play Stuttgart. Uh, Caroline Garcia is there as well, uh, fresh off her flight from Birmingham. <laughs> and uh, we've got Iga Svjantek there trying to defend mm. her title. Um, she's the top seed. Sabalenka's the second seed. And we've got um, Garcia as the fourth seed and uh, Jibor as the third seed. Um Chris, uh looking at this draw, obviously jam-packed. Are there any particular first round matches that spring to mind or any potential matchups we we're going to get that you're very much looking forward to?
0: Well, you know me. I love to watch Raducanu play, and I'm also an Ostapenko fan. So <laughs> Ostapenko in Stuttgart, it's a great mix. She's great on clay, she's great indoors. Um I think that'll be highly entertaining. We didn't get to see the conclusion of their first match that they played over in career so oh yes when ostapenko retired uh, or was it radicani that retired oh
3: was it radicani retired
0: it someone retired very close to defeat i thought oh we'll have to fact check that um listeners please let us know but um i would love to see one of those uh, matches completed i also think i'd love to see radicani jabot i think they had that in the, the pre-season um and that was a, a a set each in a champions tie break i'd love to see that one um but also fascinated to see how Iga's playing so that's where I'll be I'll be um having my attention
1: it was Raducanu retired um my bad. just google right. it ostapenko is 3 love up in the third set uh, and Raducanu retired with a glute injury and that was in september last year i will
3: say i am excited to see iga tech return because her first match is against ching wen zheng who gave her a real tough battle arguably her toughest battle um what a few seasons ago at the french open yeah really tough first set went beyond 80 minutes so i'm interested to see how she gets on i mean this is a generally as you said kim a jam-packed draw because of the situation with the 250s are you a fan of how loaded it is or is it just like this is too
0: much it's a lot, I think, personally. I mean, I, that's why I've got my eye over in Portugal at the W100 that's being played. <laughs> We've got the likes of Marie Bushkova's over there. Mm. We've got Bouchard, Clara is there. Clara Torsen is there. We've got um, Danka Kovanich, Cyrus Arubaz, Tormo. It's all happening, Joel. I think maybe mm. um, it is... Oh, Mladanovic, she made the flight over. So I think um, that will be a, an interesting one to see as well because um, it is one where it, it loses a slight sense of excitement when you have some potential quarterfinals and semifinals in the first round because um you almost have a bit of a saturation point when it comes to the level of talent that's on display
1: is that because there isn't as many opportunities for the women to play you know there's there, there isn't a, as many as as the men's you know the men have got three tournaments this week on the tour women have won and is that you know going back to wta go back to china they need to find places for these players to play so that maybe the you know the top top echelons are not all crammed into one tournament every week when they could be sort of split out a bit more um but i mean i i think it's for me as a fan i've, I've kind of the more top names the better if i was going to go to this tournament and and see it you know watch it i don't yeah, no mind if it's a, i don't mind if it's a first round or a final if the quality is you know great from the word go so there's i think there's you know swings and roundabouts really but um, let's look at the men's tournaments. As I said, there there are three tournaments going on this week. We've got Barcelona, Munich, and uh, Bosnia as well. So Barcelona uh, is the you know the 500 event. Carlos Alcaraz is back as the top seed. Uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas is the second seed. We've got no Rafa. He has announced that he's not ready mm. yet to come back.
3: How worried are you about that, Kim?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, it's it's not great. Maybe he's, you know, just waiting for the two masters, you know, Madrid and Rome. Uh, I would have liked to see him before Roland Garros, mm-hmm. you know, playing on one of the smaller events, but you can't force it or push it if, if he's not. It's Not ready yet, it's only going to make it worse otherwise.
3: Yeah, it'll be uh interesting to see. He's got um, yeah, he's not played on the tour this year, which um, I wasn't aware of. Yeah, he's he's played United uh, United Cup in in Jan and then the Australian Open, and that's it for the season. So, um, yeah, it's not the greatest of signs at the moment. I mean, as you said, we've got Munich and yeah, the Bosnia Open in Banja Luka. I think this would have replaced. The Belgrade um, event, Novak Djokovic is there as the top seed. So I'm quite interested to see, well, first of all, if he plays or not, given his elbow struggles. I was a little bit disappointed because we could have had Djokovic-Vavrinka, but um, Vavrinka lost today. Um, but yeah, maybe Djokovic can put Monte Carlo behind him and uh, win, a, win a 250 out here.
1: I feel like he would like to play. It. You know, it's it's not the Serbia Open, but it's in it's in the Balkans. Mm. So he's very much, you know, a home home hope in, in a way um, so I feel like he, he would probably want to <laughs> to be out there um, and Rublev you know second seed he might be a bit tired after his exploits mm. in Monte Carlo that on paper it should be those two in the final but I wouldn't be surprised if we might see you know maybe Borna Korich a la
0: yeah
1: i mean Gail fee is there on a wild card uh, so might be might be an interesting one um but yeah lots lots going on this week and as always we'll be back uh, next week to uh, to capture all of the key highlights and talking points from from this week on tour
3: yes listeners i hope you've enjoyed our latest tour catch up with the tennis weekly podcast remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from the atp and wta tours
0: we are on apple Podcasts, spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and a review on apple Podcasts or spotify
1: you can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. Or you can email the show on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk.
3: And we will be back next Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ for another tour catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.